Hello, everyone, and welcome to What's Wrong with the Podcast. Today, we have the great pleasure of speaking with Matteo Norris. At the age of 17, Matteo traded a career as a professional cyclist for higher education, after which he pursued a BA degree in international business in Manchester. Afterwards, Matteo moved to Guatemala as a consequence of a typically unpredictable life twist, providing him the opportunity to engage with cross-cultural projects in both the profit and non-profit sector. After his time in Guatemala, the desire to drive change dynamics within organizations brought Matteo first to Tanzania and then to India, returning back to the UK after several years. Now Matteo is working at WASP, a 3D printing architecture firm with the aim to build zero-mile homes, using materials found in the surrounding area where he leads the implementation of digital tools to empower and connect multiple teams by strengthening as a first customer mentality from a business point of view. Matteo is also responsible for generating and monitoring international sales growth and supports the management team in their research to create the solid organizational structure necessary to support the downsizing of processes. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast. Today, we have the great pleasure of speaking with Matteo Norris. Matteo is with World Advanced Saving Project. Matteo, welcome. Oh, t- thank you. Thanks for uh, having me here today. And thanks for you all listening today. Well, thank you for being here. Uh, we're excited for this conversation. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background to our audience. Uh, sure. So um, today I'm talking to you from our office here in Massa Lombarda. We are based in the central of Italy in, near Bologna. Um, um, I was born and raised here in Italy, um, somewhere else in Genova. I studied business and uh, uh, actually I came into this uh, field not so long ago, about uh, nine months ago. And my background is mostly in uh, uh, NGOs and uh, kind of like uh, development work. Um, so yeah, I came here because of some specific uh, alignment with the development they wanted to make inside the company in terms of digitalization and adoption of new tools. Uh, but the whole industry was, uh, was pretty new to me. Um, yeah. And how, what is your experience in the industry so far, I guess? Um, has been amazed, uh, amazing. Um, I had the chance to participate to uh, the most important uh, show for this uh, industry, which is Form Next, and it's held in, uh, in Frankfurt every November. Uh, that is the place where anybody who has to do with additive manufacturing will be heading at any scale or size or whatever is their role in this uh, kind of like uh, uh, value chain, they will be there. So that was amazing and gave me a, a really um, a, a bigger picture of who are the people and what are the purposes and the development in the in the field uh, but I guess the most important uh, aspect uh, for uh, the benefit in my experience was uh, the values and the people that are uh, around WASP at all times so like as usual the people are the ones that really shape your experience right and here at WASP I have to say that I founded people where there was a very strong uh, alignment in terms of vision in terms of values uh, and also age-wise uh, it's a pretty young group Yes. Um, no, we're following WASPs, like, uh, I guess, projects uh, very enthusiastically. I think it's very exciting and promising for the future, too. So can you please tell us a bit more about WASPs, WASPs background, and then we can talk about a little bit maybe what problems is WASP trying to address in today's field? Sure. Um, so uh, WASP is... Um, um, a, a, 
it's a company that was born out of the imagination of Massimo Moretti. Massimo Moretti is the founder um, and is uh, still our um, kind of like a visionary uh, director. Um, the Francesca Moretti is our kind of manager at the moment, but is still here, like making sure that everybody is embedded in his vision and uh, in the values of the of the company. He has been uh, um, uh, an inventor and entrepreneur all his life in different fields, but he has a strong background in uh, electronics. Um, and around 2012, he uh, started to get passionate about uh, kind of additive manufacturing. It was the the time where the first uh, tabletop machine were coming. And he has told me that he, he, he spent quite a, 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 an important amount of money at the time to purchase one. And then from that moment, he was like, hmm, I can make one too. And he started to build one, which we have here. It's called the, the uh, actually, it's called the cupcake. Uh, it, it's made of wood and it's, uh, it's a, it was the prototype for where we came uh, today. Um, as a company, I, I mean, he, he set out on this, uh, on this uh, uh, trip and his venture. Really, with the with the aim of uh, with some a very specific aim, which is that of being able to um, um, have a positive role in fulfilling uh, people's needs and in uh, finding some solution to some unanswered needs of people, especially that are living in condition or situation of uh, disadvantage. Um, in particular, um, that the, the initial uh, kind of like aim was that of being able to have an impact in the housing crisis and being able to um, find a, both a, a technical and a, a software and a digital solution for, for that through additive manufacturing. Um, along the path, definitely that was kind of the apex of the research. So along the path, we, um, we had to start from very small machines that were working with very different materials. Um, but that left us with a catalog of machines that we have today, which actually allow us to have an impact in the, in the, in the, in the wider range of uh, needs that human have, starting from food, from energy, um, to work creations, um, health. And, and then now since 2018, we are equipped with Crane Wasp, which is the hardware, the tool, the printer that allows us to have also uh, something to say in the architectural field. Yeah. So that's where we are right now. And uh, um, it's very exciting because the, the, the hardware is really uh, here now. It's, uh, it's something we are using uh, often. We are starting to have international projects that involve us and the use of the, of the technology. We have the first research center using it. So it's all very exciting. Yeah, um, I think the future potential is, um, well, it addresses so many of uh, issues today, right? Like both scalability, access, use of natural materials. And I know WASP is also exploring that in additive manufacturing, which has been so far like a lot of like plastic usage, but like now incorporating much more natural materials and therefore bringing in so much more efficiency just to like production and construction process really. Um, we already see tremendous benefit of it in rapid prototyping and let's say product design, but I'm, all, I'm also very, very excited about the potential for architecture in the future. Um, and I, we see like a few projects that you did one um, pop-up store with like Dior. And of course we need these kind of, you know, I guess star or uh, 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 huge uh, press projects in order to get 
like attract more um, attention and aware, bring more awareness to even the capability to be able to really recognize the overall mission of the company in the long run. So what do you see in the architectural space that's happening today at WASP or uh, collaboratively in the industry and uh, what potential it might enable for the future? Um, well, uh, there is a lot of potential and uh, we have to be thankful to uh, for those that are believing in this early stage of, uh, of development of the technology. So uh, clearly our collaboration, for example, with Dior uh, was something that allowed us to, um, to do a lot of steps in, in, in the development of the tool, but especially of the processes that go around the tool. Um, as we know, at the early stages of any technology are very expensive because they require you know, a lot of energy efforts um, to, to, to de deploy. And so when we look at that project, uh, yeah, clearly it's something you know, that, that uh, allow us to have a lot of international uh, recognitions and space. But especially, it allows us to, to achieve some research objective that might not be so uh, exposed out there, uh, but are essential for us to progress. And especially in that case, uh, was that of being able to remotely kind of mon monitor and control the, the construction site uh, from Italy. And so for, for us, it that was fundamental. Um, on, a, on a broader uh, trying to, 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 to have a, like a broader picture of the situation. Uh, definitely, there is a lot of excitement surrounding uh, 3D printing um, in the architectural and construction field. Mm. Some, uh, there, there are two main, I mean, three, three sources of interest, or we, we can categorize the, the interest in three in three main areas. Uh, there are people that come to 3D printing because they're interested in the design potential and innovation in the design of the shapes and uh, structures. We are talking about kind of like, uh, mm, yes, I, I guess when we try to um, to paint a picture of what is the current uh, uh, interest uh, from the, the architecture uh, field to, towards 3D printing, I think we can think about three main uh, areas. One is the, those uh, people or companies, professionals that are interested in the in the design innovation that 3D printing can allow uh, in the architectural field. So they're inter interested, interested in bringing the more uh, organic shapes and uh, um, organic shapes into architecture. And that is definitely something that is already happening. Um, and it's a, a source of major excitement for the whole industry. Uh, another one is the integration of new materials in the in the building, so uh, there are architects and projects that are, you know, whose main objective is that of being able to use some innovative material in contexts that are was never possible before. Um, and then we had a third group of people, um, broadly, that are interested in the eco, uh, reducing the ecological impact of their projects. Right, so. Um, they don't necessarily aim for an incredible or eye-catching structure or design. They are not necessarily aiming to use an innovative or new material, but they are really interested in measuring the ecological impact of their work and seeing the, you know, the, the, the impact being lower and, uh, and, and better overall. Yeah, uh, although like I think, you know, and going back to the Dior project, you're kind of you brought in all three aspects in that it was very much design savvy, 
um, and in uh, sort of in brand with uh, Dior's, um, I guess, brand identity, and then also incorporated new materials in 3D printing, as well as being environmentally conscious. So I think that was like very exciting for us to see because, um, and it's great to also see brands kind of supporting, as you said, these like early stage efforts to bring awareness to it and um, I guess uh, enable more funding towards it too, because especially in the real estate industry, we see that, um, you know, unlike the automotive industry, for example, we're very quick to slam uh, prototypes down, like say, oh, it's expensive. Oh, that will never work. Oh, like we don't have any material on that. Oh, what about this? You know, it's not, it, uh, the, the real estate industry does not have the, the same mindset as the tech industry, so to speak. So I, I really see, you know, uh, the 3D printing field and what you do can kind of bring those worlds together and therefore bring the mindset of the tech industry to more into real estate, being more open to try new things, uh, explore new materials, forms, and therefore enabling, um, you know, reducing our uh, footprint altogether. I mean, what you're talking about in terms of even uh, being able to construct uh, remotely, that's huge, right? That's in itself is so much more efficient than our uh, current system. Um, and on top of that, you're talking about uh, environmentally friendly materials, uh, as well as just like better efficiency in the uh, in site, so that it, it's much quicker, as well as it has uh, much less, I guess, noise pollution, and, you know, environmental pollution, like everything that you can think of that comes with a construction site. So the, I think we're such a, at an early stage that we can't even uh, quantify the benefits yet, but we already see that they're there. What are some strategies that WASP has in order to be able to track uh, the benefits and um, really the, uh, uh, this, the solutions that it's bringing into the current, I guess, industries? Um, so uh, for definitely, um, I, I, I think you, you caught on a very important point. Um, on, on, on our side, we see uh, the possibility of impacting in, uh, in different ways. One is definitely that of developing a tool that instead of being uh, uh, overly sophisticated or answering just the, the, the needs or the calls of the uh, construction industry, cement industry, uh, or the real uh, large construction companies, um, wants to uh, create an opportunity for those that are not yet asking for uh, a 3D printer or to participate in this industry. So we are really trying to develop a tool that might uh, be uh, interesting or uh, uh, thought-provoking for for very different type of companies that might be in places around the world where uh, additive manufacturing might not be yet part of the conversation. Um, so we, we want to be, uh, we, we can met, we will be able to measure our impact in that sense. So the involvement of people that are uh, uh, not big players in this, uh, in this industry, we want to make it more playing, a more playing, playing, uh, playing field. Yes. Um, uh, then uh, I guess what we are trying to do is that we create machines that are, um, they, we'll do, we, we come from the open source mindset. So we don't want to create uh, a tool that then uh, lock people or customers or companies to us uh, for the use, for the fitting, for the 
uh, the materials that to be used with these machines. Uh, so in, in, in the East industry, this one, but also in many others, usually somebody wants to sells you the, the hardware, which at times is not even anymore the source of the income for the company, but then they want to sell you all the other services and uh, uh, softwares and tools that can be used on, on that hardware. Um, on, on, on our side, instead, the, the interest is really that of being able to um, get the, the machine to people like uh, uh, in any part of the world, especially, as I said, in places where um, other players would not go and, and play or and knock on doors, uh, and then allow people that do not have as a base the, the, the kind of background that would normally allow people to participate in this, so very uh, skilled in, in you know, uh, digital uh, design, engineering, and, um, and uh, modern architecture, but allow them to uh, develop, to kind of implement very, very advanced project thanks to our remote support. So we, we, we want to give them a machine that um, um, where for potentially they could be able to um, just access a, a library of file that will be open uh, from us on our website and um, just download a file wherever they are. So as long as they're able to mount the machine, they could just download the, the, the file, which could be the, you know, a summary of very high or uh, of a, a large amount of knowledge. Let's say there is no high knowledge, it's just a large amount of knowledge um, and, and they could benefit from it. So um, our measuring the results of our work will be in, in, in the sense, uh, seeing how far uh, we can spread the, the know-how uh, uh, far into the world, let's say. I think what's really um, fascinating is that, I, I, and you talk about, which is so true, generally there are like a few big players who innovate in, uh, in the space and, um, and some, usually it comes with a big price tag too, right? So like if you want to be sustainable consumer, for example, the machinery that you're getting um, is generally um, double the price, right? If not more. Um, so but you're also enabling this like overarching system where uh, these big players could actually uh, support or endorse projects uh, without having to like set up a massive infrastructure at a site, but maybe even through, and it's interesting that you have nonprofit background, but even through like nonprofit support, I can definitely see collaboration with nonprofits and uh, these like, I guess, big players kind of being the sponsors on these projects in order to be able to uh, respond to even crisis with your remote support, right? It kind of is suddenly it becomes a system where a local team of, I guess, uh, project managers, plus you guys, plus a donor or sponsor who can be, be anywhere in the world, really collaborating at a site that has an urgent need. Um, so that potential is amazing and it's really, um, in order, like it, it would be amazing to see like how this could like scale too, as it has the potential to do so. Um, so I guess with that and like seeing the potential and not only, um, you know, bringing like enabling design innovation, uh, and kind of like empowering, uh, the research around new materials. Uh, in terms of like really uh, like crisis response or urgency needs around like housing or shelter, what is a timeline 
well, maybe not at the present, but in the future that you're targeting, like if we were to print homes or shelters or quick hospitals, right? Like the pandemic was a great case example where we were short of space. Like in New York, they turned the entire Javis Center into a temporary hospital. Um, how quick do you, can you envision the turnaround would be if we needed to just print our spaces as we needed? Um, interesting, very interesting question. Um, there are different uh, elements to that can help us to kind of calculate or estimate a time. Um, there is definitely a part that is uh, onto uh, the administration, the government in uh, aligning their construction codes and the construction's kind of uh, uh, requirements to this new technology and to the new materials. So we are playing with a new tool and we are doing with new materials. So we need um, uh, the, the governments and the laws to start to uh, integrate these innovations into their, uh, into their codes. Um, and that will happen uh, as universities start to work with the, our machines, this kind of material, they start to produce uh, literature about it. And, and so the government can kind of uh, um, uh, piggyback from, from this research the university will do. Um, in, a, in a more practical uh, sense, I guess the, the tool is there. So the tool is already ready for deployment. Um, what has to happen is that uh, we are uh, we definitely that the implementation has to be um, kind of um, uh, in steps. So first we did project where we were the designers, implementer, and the people in the construction side, um, and that was for example Tecla and Gaia. We did it in house and we controlled everything. Uh, then we move on projects where, um, you know, we, did, we collaborated on the design, uh, we had a mixed team on the field for the construction, and we only had uh, you kind of like a, a remote support uh, from engineers, um, and that was the case, for example, of the OR project. Um, now what we will do is that we will um, participate in some projects that are actually in the horizon, um, in the kind of like 12 to 18 months kind of horizon. We do have projects in collaboration uh, potentially with with organizations that come from the nonprofit or development area. And we will uh, act in this way. We will kind of um, um, go in the, in the field with them. We will work on a project where we will design a, a print recipe. So, a, you know, kind of the design a material mix that is uh, uh, locally sourced together with them. We will train a local team on the use of the machine. So we will go, you know, just past and beyond just a pure assist us on the field, but like give them a full training on how to use the machine, do the project with them. So we will have one or two people on site, have them kind of like uh, have the main role in the, in, the, in, the, in the project, have our engineers assist them remotely through the internet where they push the file and control the machine kind of uh, data and, and, and uh, yeah, the data of coming from the machine. Uh, and then what we will do is that we will leave the machine with them. They will be trained and we expect them to go out and find for themselves a kind of a location, identify a location, uh, identify any changes to the, to the material mix if it's necessary, um, indicate a design from the library uh, or propose changes to the existing one if they identify there are needs to be met through design changes and then implement it. 
once we we pass this step so we understand that somebody can be trained and 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 go out and 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 work we could see that large ngos for example come out to us uh get a hold of one of these uh tools because in the end it's just a tool uh bring it to their center have their research and development team participate because the very large ngos do have people who do some preparation and study in order to be uh you know um, operational when a, a disaster or an emergency comes in and if they will be kind of they will have completed their uh preparation so they will have developed the file that is good for them the deployment strategy that is good for them, the logistics that is good for them, then they will be able to answer to an emergency uh, using our, our tool. Our tool cannot be dropped in the middle of an emergency and be used by somebody that has no idea. That right. There has still to be some kind of coordination in order to have it in the field and working. Um, right. um, so, I mean, um, kind of talking about trying uh, to put in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a time uh scale what we said i think it could be uh maybe uh two three years before somebody uh is is, is actually doing this in the field yeah uh, in a real world in a real emergency scenario i would say but uh so i i definitely understand that and it's no different than really like a, a onboarding process for a corporation when you bring in a new software that you customize with the client and then adapt it to their needs and train in-house team to be able to use it. And then you only do like remote consulting as needed, right? So it's very similar to that. So I think it makes a lot of sense when you say that a large NGOs or corporations that have foundations, or, uh, they can actually invest in this ahead of time to have that in-house capability with through collaboration with you in order to be able to respond in the future. So once this like training happens and you're envisioning like two to three years there, um how what is the printing like once everything is set and we're like it's action right how long do you see like the printing could take or do we like have potential to become it become very fast in the future um i mean speed when it comes to 3d printing is not just a mechanical factor and mechanically it could become uh, very fast because it's just a matter of like increasing the engine size and 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 make it move faster but there is the the the, the part that is uh that the speed is determined by the material you're using and uh, their properties and their ability to uh adhere correctly when they're deposed so uh, when we're talking about the architecture 3 printing we are uh kind of deposing very large chunks of materials like pretty thick layers uh, yeah. of materials let's talk about concrete to have something that uh, everybody can have in, in mind um, when you depose concrete concrete is not really uh, solid or uh, uh, it's 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 pretty fluffy let's say or soft yeah. and so like if you were to go very fast with your printing means that probably you will be back deposing the second layer pretty mm -hmm. fast but if you come back too fast to that point where you depose the first layer, um, it might be the material below is not ready to receive right. uh, weight on top of it. So th the speed can increase only, uh, not only because the machine gets faster, but because new materials are developed. Um, I think that, of course, is going to be a never-ending process. Like there is always research and new innovation coming in. Um, but at the moment, uh, there are some 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 limits like we, we are not searching for speed when we approach a new project is speed is not necessarily the thing because uh it, it the speed is also determined by the amount of 
properties that you want to input into a design. So in a wall infill, that will determine how well the wall uh, kind of performs against uh, uh, the, the heating, cooling, and uh, and uh, out, you know the exterior kind of um, things. Um, I, I, to just give you some reference, uh, I guess for example, we already printed something in in, in Germany in Vias. Uh, art installation actually it was a very small module about nine square meters um it was the simplest thing ever so i could imagine that that could be kind of like the shelter yeah. just and yeah. only a shelter and that it took about 50 hours to to print uh, however it might have taken the same time or a little less but you might have taken still like a day to set up the machine and disinstall it from the location where we printed so right. um what we are also looking into is that what could happen in those situations is that you go to an area where you need to deploy this kind of uh, uh, of housing, but instead of moving the printer to each single place where you want to have a shelter built, you will have the shelter building kind of like uh, um, modules. Yeah. So you will have like a, a printing area within a, like a deployment area, and you will right. have these pieces printed there, and then move maybe hundred meters away. And in this way, you could kind of like uh, uh, cut on the on the installation and removal of the printer. Yes. And just be faster. Um, but That's, this will come with experience, definitely in the field. Of course, of course, and it's very interesting because, like at present, even though modular construction is more, I guess, efficient and in some cases more sustainable, um, we still produce at a site and then ship over, right? The, there's a big logistics component, but 3D printing potentially can eliminate most of that logistics by really setting up shop in a more local and then having to move around in a local, I guess, um, circumstance, really. Um, but I think it, you touched upon a great point where we think about innovation around 3D printing in the future, that it's not only about machinery, it's about the print recipe, to your point, where um, you know we have to continue R&D in new materials, not only to just uh, see like how you can build more efficiently or uh, um, like cost effectively or um, quickly, but really to also figure out how can it be more sustainable can we actually build biodegradable um, things, structures? Can we um, build like recyclable structures? Can we build uh, structures that have perfect insulation, right? So we don't have to like, so that the printing can be the only process of the entire exterior construction. Um, so I think those are like really interesting and it's good to understand the dimensions that require R&D and development and investment in for the future. Um, and you and I think I do want to touch upon what you said in terms of like government support um, in terms of uh, local laws and zoning regulations and construction code and all of that. Uh, like we all know policy always lags, right? Um, but it's great to see the push and call out from industry itself to encourage such innovation and uh, development. And hopefully we see more and more players in the field wanting to adopt if not the entire structure, but like pieces of it um, in their process in order to encourage also local governments to be more flexible uh, in their regulations too. Because in the end, this is only gonna thrive and scale through public-private uh, collaboration. Um, I do wanna be mindful of time, but I do wanna wrap up with a piece of advice. So. What would your advice be to anyone who wants to get into a field that where 
you're pushing boundaries, trying to make progress uh, in the world? Um, well, I think uh, the advice could be uh, two maybe that come to my mind. One is that uh, definitely big is exciting, uh, but uh, small is much more uh, sustainable. So uh, do, do, you know, even, even if your, your goal or your, you know, kind of like a, what your aim in mind is to, you know, work in architectural size, you, you, you have to consider always thinking from smaller uh, side because smaller means smaller mistakes, smaller investment, uh, uh, but, but still a very large um, kind of learning curve that is propedeutic and that really can build up your skills. So um, with 3D printing, even, even if you are, you know, the 3D printing with a large machine means that you have to input a lot of materials into the machine. Um, so you have to prepare a lot of materials before. Uh, it means that once you extrude it, you have a lot of materials to either move around or uh, kind of like uh, put on the side. And those are costs, real costs. So um, always start small. And especially when it comes to, for example, natural materials, just talking about our range of machines, clay machines really, really allow you for a very long and, and, and interesting learning curve towards uh, really playing a role in this field. And then um, I guess my second piece of advice um, would be that do, do not try to imagine where you wanna get before you understand the tool. So don't try to imagine what you want to get to print before you start printing, because I what I've seen talking with customers and talking with people interested is that it's a really, when people approach 3D printing and they're like, ah, you know, in this in our company we do um, uh, bicycle frames and we want to 3D print bicycle frames. We want to do exactly what we do now, but with the 3D printer. That is not really uh, exciting, right? I, but, but I cannot ask them to imagine something different from what they do if they don't know what the tool can do. So allow yourself to really learn the tool and allow yourself to, you know, explore the tool before you get an aim for yourself because you may not be able to imagine it right now. So just you know, allow yourself for some time to really feel comfortable with the tool, understand uh, the possibility, the potential, and then concentrate on, on what you want to do. There must be a first phase where you are just open and, uh, and, 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 and just very curious. You have to approach it with curiosity first instead of a goal in, in mind. I love that. We're limiting our own imagination by just trying to solve our production problem through 3D printing. Exactly. But whereas in 3D printing, we can be, we can think of crazy forms if we have to. Um, that's, that's such a good point. Well, I mean, Matteo, this was great, sweet and short, but also very insightful. So thank you so much for your time. Thanks to you. It was a pleasure being here. And that is this week's episode of What's Wrong With The Podcast. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcasting platform. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Links can be found in the episode description, and you can also find them on our website, podcast.whatswrongwith.xyz. If you found value in the show, we would appreciate if you could rate us and leave a review, or you can simply tell your friends about us. For more details on our guests, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to join us next week. Thank you for listening.